are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, Pastor Rick and a team from BFC are in Eswatini. You're familiar with our ministry there, and uh, they, some of them have been there for a couple of weeks, and uh, Pastor Rick has joined them. So he's not here with us today, but we have such a special person uh, delivering the message today of God's Word and transformation and grace in his own life and his family's life. He's going to tell you all about it. Reverend Larry Morris is with us today, and uh, Larry and his wife Christy are members at BFC, and we're just so glad to have them with us. Larry, uh, for his job, he's uh, Vice President of External Relations for SNU. And so he gets to work with churches and pastors and alumni across the region. And we're so honored to have him here with us today. Would you please give a warm BFC welcome to Reverend Larry Morris today? Well, good morning, BFC family. Well, one, I, I want to start out by uh, just thanking you as a church for your partnership with your university, Southern Nazarene University. I, I know many of you probably attend there, some of you have worked there, and uh, I've, I've just been in this role for about eight months now. I've pastored for the last uh, 30 years and have been in Houston for the last nine. Uh, but over the last few months, I have witnessed God at work on our campus through our students. We have a great mission opportunity, and I just... Actually, before I ever got this job, I couldn't imagine Southern Nazarene University without the partnership with Bethany First Church. It's like the two just go hand in hand. So thank you so much for being our partners in ministry. Also, I love your pastor. I am so thankful for Pastor Rick. He is one of my dear friends, and what an what a opportunity he has given me this morning. And I have I, probably one of my favorite memories in life includes your pastor. Uh, he called me some years back and said, Larry, why don't you go to Africa with me? Let's go to Eswatini, Swaziland. And I'd never been to Africa, and I thought this would be an excellent opportunity, especially get to go with him. And so I went with him and, and a group of students from SNU, some of them uh, from this church. We had an outstanding time until we were on a safari of some sorts, and uh, there were some hippos out in a lake next to some crocodiles. I mean, this only happens in Africa, right? And Pastor Rick tells one of our college students, why don't you throw a rock at that hippo and see what happens? And they did, and, uh, and the hippos moved rather quickly, thankfully not in our direction, but I, I realized at that point maybe Pastor Rick was not the guy I wanted to go to Africa with. So, but from that, uh, we, we great, uh, developed a great partnership with our church in Houston, built a preschool there, and actually my wife is coming back from there today because she got to see the preschool. So love Pastor Rick, and I'm thankful for this opportunity. Uh, he asked me uh, when he asked me to share, he asked that I would share God's story in my life and in our family. I shared this with uh, one of our denominational gatherings, a district assembly not too long ago. So if you were here, you've heard it. But he, asked, he just thought it would be good for you to hear it. So I'm, I'm honored to be able to share it today. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2. In my church, I'd have to say, if you have your Bibles or your phone, turn to that. And most of us would go, yeah, but it's going to be on the screen. Why should I do that? So let's watch on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. 
Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things He planned for us long ago. You have been saved, Paul writes, by His grace. Now, the word grace is simply this. It is God's undeserved favor upon us. It's His, his love towards us. And in, in, in the Church of the Nazarene, our Wesleyan tradition, here's some things that we believe about grace. Uh, we believe, number one, that there is prevenient grace, and that is God's grace pursuing us long before we're ever thinking about Him. Your life's probably a testimony of that. God brought people into your life, circumstances into your life, and, and He was working when you weren't even thinking about Him, His prevenient grace. We also believe in God's saving grace, and we believe that He can offer forgiveness of sins, He can transform a life, He can forgive us from our past and give us a bright hope. It is because of His grace, not, as Paul said, not because of anything we've done. We also believe in sanctifying grace, and that is that a, a life surrendered to Christ can be filled with the Holy Spirit and can be empowered to live a godly life, all because of God's amazing grace. So I grew up in Mustang, Oklahoma. Do we have any Mustang Broncos in the house? Thank you very much for those three Mustang Broncos. That's good. We've got a few in the back. So uh, I grew up in Mustang, and when, when I was growing up there, it doesn't look anything like it did today, or does today. I, I think it was a town, two or 3,000. We had uh, Highway 152 that went right through the middle of town, and the intersection of Mustang Road, there was one stoplight, and sometimes it worked, and other times it just blinked. Uh, we also uh, had kind of the basics of a small town. We have a, a bank, a funeral home, and a donut shop. The donut shop was a highlight for me because I do love donuts. I, I still remember as a kid, mom taking me by the donut shop on the way to school, went in to get my long john, and in the back, they were having a blood drive in the back of the donut shop. I thought only in a small town we have blood drives in the back of donut shops. So things got really great at Mustang when we got an Otasco hardware store, and then my whole world was transformed when we got a TGNY. So for those of you that are young, that won't mean anything to you, but it's kind of a little small Walmart. It had toys, and that was pretty much the cool stuff. So my parents uh, were very involved in our community. My father uh, would retire as the chief of police in Mustang. My mother would spend over a decade uh, on the board of education. And, and simply all that means is my mom and dad knew what I was going to do before I knew what I was going to do. So I also uh, have uh, three siblings, my two older sisters. I have a sister that's 12 years older, sister is 10 years older, brother is 11 years older. I am the baby of the family. My sisters are here this morning. They will testify that I am still the baby of the family because they consider me such. So anyway, growing up in Mustang, a great town to be a part of. My mom grew up in the Capitol Hill Church of the Nazarene. Some of you have been in the Nazarene Church for a while, may have some connection there. She grew up in, the, in Capitol Hill Church, uh, was a follower of Christ, I believe to be a woman of prayer, uh, did her best to try to get us to go to church, uh, and really didn't have a lot of success at that. My dad, on the other hand, was not a Christ follower. My dad had come from a rather difficult background. He grew up in West Virginia. My grandfather was a coal miner, and he died when my father was just a teenager from black lung disease. 
My dad spent most of his growing up years living with his grandparents, and in a matter of about a week, both of them, while he was there, uh, committed suicide, took their life. My dad, when he was just about 18 years old, was going to do anything he could to get out of West Virginia, and so he joined the U.S. Air Force, and being in the Air Force, he was immediately sent off to Korea, the Korean War, and he would retire from the Air Force, and he would spend two tours in Vietnam. Uh, he was also, uh, once he retired, he got into law enforcement, spent all of the rest of his, his working years in law enforcement. So here's just kind of summing that up. My dad experienced a lot of tragedy in his life, a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulty, a lot of hurt, a lot of loss, and it resulted in a lot of bitterness and a lot of anger. When I try to describe my dad, there's, there's a lot of ways to go about it, but I say probably the easiest way to describe my dad is to simply mean he was just a mean person. Uh, he was intimidating. He was difficult. I spent my growing up years trying to stay away from him. I, uh, when he would speak to me, I wouldn't look at him in the eye. I mumbled because I didn't want to commit to anything that might set him off. Uh, our home was a, a place of a lot of arguments and stress and abuse and I, I remember one instance, I was, I was just a little guy and I was up in my uh, mom and dad's bedroom and and I was having a conversation with my mom, and I heard my dad's car drive up. And every time I heard my dad's car drive up in the driveway after work, my anxiety would pick up. I would begin to, to be stressed because I didn't know what was going to happen. We never knew what it was going to be like after work for him. And so I heard his car drive up. I began to get anxious. And then I hear him slam the front door, and I know it's not going to be a good night. I can hear him stomping up the stairs. He, he goes into the room where I'm with my mom, and he and mom have some sort of interchange, and before I know it, they're screaming and hollering. And then the next thing is, is I see my dad with his hands around my mom's neck, and he's trying to strangle her. And my mom is saying, George, don't do this in front of Larry. Now, that was commonplace in my home. It was just, just a home that there was a lot of stress and difficulty. And so things were difficult, and then things went to a higher level of difficulty on September 9th in 1974. September 9th, 1974, I'm six years old. I think I'm in the first grade. After school, I come home and I do what I had typically done after school. I went out into the backyard and got my trucks and cars and all those kind of things, and I'm just playing around, having, having a good time. And my older sister, Debbie, comes out and she says, Larry, we need to go into town. There's been an accident. I don't know what's all going on. And so I get in the car and, and we leave our neighborhood and we head up uh, Highway 152 near the intersection of Checkhall Road and Highway 152. But before we get there, that road at that time was just a two-lane highway, and there were cars lined up on both sides of the road, people everywhere. My sister pulls in behind the last car in line. She looks at me, and she says, do not get out of the car. So I sit there. She gets out, and she makes her way up to where whatever is going on, not there long, gets back in the car, says to me, it was Philip. Philip's my brother. We turn around, we go back to our neighborhood, pull up to the house, more cars, more people. People milling around out in the yard. We pull into the, into the driveway, I get out, I go back out into the yard to just 
trying to figure out like something odd is going on and I'm not sure what it is. But I'm not out there long and I see my dad's patrol car drive up in our driveway. My anxiety picks up. I'm thinking, what's he doing here and what's going on? He gets out of his car and he doesn't look like the dad I know. Now, the reason I say that is, is that my dad, he was not necessarily a, a tall man, but he always stood up tall. Dad's theory was, you stand up tall, you look people in the eye, you have a firm handshake, and you keep your shoes polished was another big deal for him. But this time, he, he, he didn't look like that. Most of the time, when you had a conversation with my dad, you were looking at the end of his index finger while he was giving you the right act. But this time, he was, he was kind of bent over, and something was obviously not right. He started walking towards me. I, as much as I can remember, all I could think of is, what is going on? What's he going to say? And why is he coming towards me? So my dad comes out into our yard. He gets down on his knees. He looks me in the eye. And for the first time, I see my father crying. And he says this. He said, Larry... Today, Philip had to go to the hospital, and he's never coming home. Now, for this little six-year-old guy, I knew what that meant, that my brother Philip had died. And what had happened is that my, my brother was on his motorcycle, and he was at that intersection, or near the intersection of Chekhov Road in 152. A truck did not see him, pulled out. And it was a tragic accident. My dad was one of the first responders to his son's death. So things in our home went from terrible to horrific. I mean, it was just all of us trying to do anything we could to be away from him, to get out and away from the house. We didn't know what to do, how to handle it. I remember times of, as a kid just sitting in my closet, covering the hands over my ears, hoping not to hear the screaming that was going on. It was one of the most challenging experiences that I, I, I had ever walked through. All right, so I want to fast forward a little bit. Fast forward to 1982. I am uh, at the end of eighth grade, I'm about ready to go into ninth grade. I'm out riding my bike out front, and my mom comes out and she says, Larry, you've got a phone call. Now, to you, that may not sound like a big deal, but for Larry, it was a big deal because I rarely got any phone calls. And so I said, who is it? She goes, it's Bob Hall, youth pastor, Church of the Nazarene. We see, the Church of the Nazarene and Mustang had helped our family through the death of my brother, but we were not active in it. Uh, mom tried to get us to go. Dad for sure was not going to go. I resisted. So they had been involved, but we didn't get connected with them much. So anyway, so I, so I walk in the house, and, the mom, and mom hands me the phone. Now, so for some of you that are younger, this is going to be a new kind of a thing. For those of you my age, you'll understand it. But the phone back then hung on the wall. It had a rotary dial, and it had a rather long cord. Does anybody relate to where I'm going here? All right. So I had a, I had a rather long cord. That was kind of our, our way of privacy is that, you know, it was in the kitchen, but I could take that cord and I could walk into the living room and have a conversation. So I said, hello. And he, Bob introduced himself. He said, I'm a youth pastor at, at Mustang Church. And Larry, I hear you play the drums. 
Mom and dad made a huge mistake when I was a kid. They bought me a drum set. And on Christmas morning, my sister still tell me about me being there about two or three o'clock in the morning, and I was down there playing those drums as loud as I could, and I had this fire engine hat that had this red light that spun around at the time. It was an exciting moment for me. So mom and dad got me these drums, and the thing was, is I never played these in front of anyone. I'd just play them in my room as loud as I possibly could, of course, until dad came home and silence. So Bob says, hey, I hear you play the drums, and we have a, we've got a youth choir, and we need a drummer. And we're going to take a trip before long, and, and we're going to San Antonio, and, and we just thought maybe, Larry, you might be interested in playing your drums. Well, I can tell you right up front, this was way out of my comfort zone. Number one, I, didn't, I was not comfortable around people I didn't know. Two, I felt awkward in the church. And then I thought, having to spend time with all these people, I, I don't know. But a couple of things came to mind before I answered. I thought, well, number one, I get to play my drums in public with a choir. This could be exciting. But that was secondary to the, to the second reason. I knew that the girls loved the drummer. And I needed some help in that area. And so reluctantly, I said yes. So I started going to church. Got my drums up there, and we would practice, you know, oftentimes. And we did that for several weeks. And then uh, we gathered everything in our church bus. Has anybody ever ridden on a church bus? If you did and you made it back, you're lucky. So. Anyway, so we got all in our church bus, and, and we uh, headed to San Antonio. We make it uh, the first night to Denton, Texas. I don't know if that's just as far as the bus would go or whatever. Maybe it was a planned stop. Apparently it was because we had a service. So we go in to the church at Denton, Texas. We have a concert that night. I'm playing my drums, choir singing. I'm feeling good about it all. When it's over with, um, we do what teenagers typically, service is over. We go to the gym. We're playing basketball, messing around. And I, and I remember that one of the teenagers came out and said, all right, all right, everybody, we've got to go back in the sanctuary. We're going to have a devotion, our nightly devotion before we go to bed. I was so clueless of what they were talking about. And I remember asking that teenager, I said, what is a devotion? And they said, well, it's, it's kind of like a mini sermon. And I thought, didn't we just hear a sermon? I mean, why, why are we doing this again? I said, well, you got to go. So I go in and our pastor is in the sanctuary with all of us, and he's saying something that ultimately I, I don't even remember what he said, which is a consistent part of this whole story. But I don't remember all that he said, but I do remember this, that when he got done, I got up and I went to the altar at that church. This is foreign to me. But I went to that altar and I started praying and I started crying. And people came down and prayed with me and and it was just, I wasn't really sure all that was going on, but something was happening and it wasn't something I'd ever experienced before. So, so after the kind of the prayers over with and, I, and I'm listening to my sponsors as they're talking to me, ultimately that night, that church, I gave my life to Christ. So the next day we were going to San Antonio. We got on the old church bus. It made it down to San Antonio. Probably took about 12 hours, but we made it down there. And we get down, and I call my mom. This is another one that would be for old school. I call my mom Collect. So for you who are younger, cell phones, you're not even sure where we're at on this one. But I call her Collect, which means she's got to accept the charges to answer the phone. And so she gets on there, and I said, hey, Mom, I, you know, we made San Antonio, but something happened last night that I thought probably you would like to know. 
Mom, I, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm following him now. I don't know what all that means, but something's different. And my mom was, obviously, she was, was thankful for that. And then I said, before we got off the phone, I said, Mom, you got to do me a favor. Do not tell Dad. Well, we had a great trip. We got back home, and it was just a matter of a couple of weeks, and I was out in the backyard, and my dad was always big about chores. It was about, you know, the yard work. It had to happen. And with my dad was, he'd have a whole list of things you had to do, and then he'd come out and tell you how you weren't doing it right, and then he would do it, and you watch me, and then I would do it, and then, you know, it was just always a fiasco. But anyway, I'm out there doing the chores, and my dad comes out to see me. Anxiety picks up. You're like, what's going on? What kind of confrontation are we going to have here? He comes out, and this is what he says. He says, Larry, I hear you became a Christian. Now, as I said earlier, when my dad would speak to me, I wouldn't look at him. I would hold my head down, and I would mumble. I didn't want to commit to something that was going to get me in trouble. But this time, I still remember it, this time, this teenage kid stood up tall, looked my dad in the eye, and I said, yes, sir, I did. And these were his words. Well, good luck with that. He turned around and walked off. Well, I got fully engaged in the church. It became my safe haven. If you uh, have been there, you understand that. If you have teenagers or kids who come to church and they don't have family with them, just know they're there a lot of times because it's a safe place. And so I was, I was there. I mean, I was there every time the doors were open, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, it, it, whatever you've got going on, Larry's going to be there. I remember it was a Sunday night service, and the pastor got up to speak. And I don't recall everything he said. But at the end of the service, I went down to pray. Now, the thing was, is that I was your altar guy. If the pastor ever needed anybody to come to the altar, all he had to do was just say, Larry, come on down. And I was there. And uh, I, I was ready to pray at any time. And so I, I got down and I prayed and I was weeping. And I, I don't remember everything that was going on, but I do remember this part. There was a, a youth sponsor, a lady. She came and she put her hand on my back and she prayed this prayer. She said, Lord, would you just get a hold of Larry's dad's life. He needs you. George needs you. And so as I'm there praying, and I hear her saying this, and this is going to seem kind of odd, but when I'm hearing her pray this, it's like it is the first time in my life that I realize what is wrong with my father. He is not a Christian. He's not a Christ follower. And so when all that's over with, I stand up in front of the church. It's about 50 folks, and I, I think I'm 13 at the time. And I, and I stand up, and I just say, would you do me a favor? And would you start praying for my dad? Everybody knew my dad. Many people had an encounter with my dad. They were willing to pray. And so, they, Larry, we're going to pray for you. Well, so I, I, went out of the, I went out of the church that night, and for some reason, Dad was picking me up from church. I remember his car. It was dark, and all I could see was the end of his lit cigarette. I got in the car. He didn't say anything to me. I didn't say anything to him. But in my mind, I went, buddy, we got your number. There are people praying for you. Well, so... 
I continue to be very involved in the church. The next year, we're going to go on another choir trip. And this time, it's big time. We're going international. We went to Arkansas. And, and so we loaded up that bus, and we went to Arkansas, and we had, a, we had a spectacular time, you know, and it's just like, I'm away from home for a week. It was great. Well, whoever was leading the, the choir, I think it was the youth pastor, he came up with this idea. He said, all right, what we're going to do is, is we're going to come back Sunday afternoon to our church, and we're not going to go home, and we're going to have a concert on Sunday night. It's going to be a homecoming concert. This is pre-Gaither stuff. I mean, we're cutting edge, all right? So we stick around that afternoon. I set my drums up on the platform. We get the choir all together, and Sunday evening comes, and I'm on the platform playing my drums, choir singing, and I see my dad walk in the back of the church. And I immediately think, what is he doing in my safe place? He comes in, he sits down in the back row, he crosses his arms, and I try not to look at him. I can't imagine why he is there. So when we get done, I come and I sit down on the second row of uh, the church just because I didn't want to be close to him. Pastor gets up to speak. Don't remember much of what he had to say, but he's, he's your district superintendent, Dr. Terry Rowland, so I, you can just tell him that Larry didn't remember anything he had to say. Um, I don't remember much he had to say, but I'm praying. And I hear a commotion out of the left side. I look up, and I see my father walk by me. And then I see him kneel at that altar in our church. And for the second time in my life, I see him cry. Now, I'd like to say I jumped for joy and thought everything was great. I just sat there frozen. I thought, I don't know what to do with this moment. People were like good Nazarenes. They gathered around him. They beat him on the back. They said, praise the Lord and all these kind of things and prayed for him. And then once they quit praying, my dad stood up. Now, I've been a pastor for some 30 years, and what he said next is kind of what nightmares are made of for pastors. My dad stood up and he said, preacher, I got something to say. And he walked up on the platform. I'm like, oh, no. He gets up and he stands behind the pulpit and he looks out over that congregation. And for the second time in my life, I'm sorry that for now he's crying as he was, and he says something like, I've been a mean man for a long time. But I think tonight that Jesus has changed my life. And folks, he did. My my dad's personality did not change. He was still type A, but he was type A for Jesus now. I, I, I remember going with him places. I, I remember one instance. We were at a gas station in Mustang, and apparently he knew the person next to us that was filling up their vehicle, and he just started getting into them. He was like, you know what your problem is? Is that you don't know Jesus. And if you'd give your life to Jesus, you wouldn't be in so much trouble. And I'm like, Dad, would you just chill out? You are embarrassing me in all of this. Well, when I, when I told Dad that I, I felt a call into ministry, 
So yeah, I'm, I'm like a junior, I think, or so in high school. And I said, Dad, I feel like God's calling him into ministry. And he's like, well, what's that mean? And I said, well, it means, you know, I think I'm going to be a pastor and I, and I need to go to Bethany Nazarene College and, and, you know, get my degree in religion and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and his first response was, well, how much is that going to cost? And I get it. And so I, I, I remember him saying, well, you know, if that's what you feel like you need to do. And, and I told him how much it was going to cost. And so every semester we would go to Mustang State Bank. We would go into the, sa- into the, to the vault and pull out the safety deposit box. He made sure I went every time. And he'd pull out these savings bonds that he and mom had been collecting to send their, one of their kids to college. He'd fill them out. We'd go to the teller. He'd cash them in. And then he'd write me a check to go to school. He wanted to know that they had made a sacrifice for me to do this. So I go through college. I graduate. And I go to my first church. And the first Sunday, I'm in Bristow, Oklahoma. My mom and dad are there. When the service is over, my dad is at the back door where people are going out, and he's saying, you don't realize what kind of great preacher you got right here. You're really going to like this guy. He may be young, but you're going to like him, you know, and he's shaking hands and all this kind of thing. And, and, I, and, the, and the next time I went to another church, I knew he was going to be there, and I called mom. I said, Mom, would you and dad just not come on my first Sunday? And she's like, but honey, your dad's so proud of you. He wants to be there. And so there he was. Boy, you're going to love this preacher. He's the best you could ever hope for. I think it's been about 14 years ago, and my my dad went in for a heart procedure. Um, And the the procedure didn't go well, and my dad passed away. We were putting together his funeral, and we thought, where are we going to have this thing? There's going to be a lot of people there. So we, we were fortunate to be able to have it at uh, the bridge, Assembly of God Church there in Mustang. And I, and I remember I stood on the platform to say a few words about my dad, and, and it was packed. I don't know if there was 1,500 people or so. There were police officers from all over the, the city, the state, the county. I looked out over the people that my dad had influenced. I remember afterwards, I, our family got into the family car to get into the procession, and and where we pulled out, ironically, where we pulled out was very near where my brother had been killed years before. I thought to myself, if it wouldn't have been for the grace of Jesus, I don't know where we'd be. I don't know what this family would have been like. I don't know if anybody would have showed up today. We pulled out on Highway 152, and it was surreal. It was almost like something you'd see in a movie. There were police cars that were leading the the, the procession, and people in Mustang came out of their businesses, and some took their hats off and stood in honor as the procession went by. If you went to Mustang Cemetery today, and you went to my mom and dad's headstone, where Sisters and I decided that on the headstone, with mom included in the decision, we decided, you know, we need to put that phrase that dad had become so famous for on his headstone. And the phrase was, is that anytime you had a conversation with my dad after he became a Christian, you get done and he would go, hey, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. You thought you were going to get another speech. And he'd say, hey, I just want you to know, God loves you and so do I. Folks, I believe in the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. I believe in it. When I I look at my dad's life, God was pursuing him long 
before my dad was ever thinking about him. He was putting people into his life, situations that were coming about. And you can look back and you can see the grace of God was pursuing him when he wasn't even thinking about him. You have some people you love very much. And they seem so far away from God. You wonder, are they listening? Has all hope been lost? Is my son, is my daughter too far? Is mom or dad or my friend, are they too far? I'm here to tell you folks, based on the grace of God, on His goodness and His power, He right now is pursuing that one that you love. He is pursuing them to let them know that there is hope for them. And it is our hope in our faith in Christ that one day they too will have a transforming experience. I believe in the saving grace of Jesus. I I believe He can do things in people's lives that we cannot. I, I believe that He can take a sinner and bring forgiveness to them and give them hope in a life that is difficult and challenging, but He can transform them by His grace. Not something I can do, not something you can do, only by the grace of God. And I believe in the sanctifying grace of God, which which I've experienced in my life when I saw in my dad's life. he, He was not. He was not perfect. But something was different. And I, and I believe that God's grace is there to help us in this life which becomes so challenging and so overwhelming. And then as I look at my mom and dad who are both in heaven today, I believe in the dying grace of God which helps us. Even in that slow, those last moments, He is there. Some of you today relate all too well with my story. You were that kid. You know the heartbreak, the pain. And I can just say based on my experience, God can pour out his love in your life. He can help you. He can bring healing. Some of you have some kids, some people you really love in your life that seem so far away. Do not give up hope. Get some people to pray with you. God is pursuing them. And I'll just close up with this. There might just be some of you who are like my dad. Because of just life, hurt, pain, you've become angry and bitter, pushing people away, causing a lot of heartache even in your own circles. Let me me just tell you today, God loves you. He wants to change you. He wants to give you healing and hope. And it can be yours simply by asking. So we're going to close, and I want to pray for us in a moment, but would you stand? And let's, uh, let's sing this last song as a testimony. I know at our church, we, we have altars where people can come and pray. Maybe you want to come. Come for yourself, come for another. But let us worship our God of great grace uh, as we close. Please come forward if you like, and then I'll pray for us as we close. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.